0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Six Degrees of Associations. I'm your host Lucas McCann. With me today, Andrew Chamberlain, co-founder and chief development officer of Elevated. Welcome, Andrew. Oh, thank you very much, Lucas.
1: It's a it's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to be on the other side of the uh, of the podcast microphone for a change. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: It is nice to be interviewed sometimes when you spend your time interviewing folks and and doing that side of it. Now you just have to sit back and answer some questions, right? Easy peasy.
1: Oh, my God. I'm just going to make stuff up. By the time we get to the end of this podcast, my whole CV will be something completely different to reality. So I'm totally excited about it.
0: (laughs) Our producer, Casey, probably won't have to edit anything out because it'll just be pure entertainment from what I gather. (laughs) From start to finish, <laughs> he won't even uh, he won't even edit out any curse words. I promise. Well, we'll see. No promises from Casey. But. <laughs> well, Andrew, tell us a little bit about um, your current seat at Elevated. What you guys are doing there, and then then we'll talk a little bit, maybe backtrack, and how you found associations. But let's start with Elevated.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, Elevated um, uh, would a niche consultancy, which I use as fancy words for small uh, small consultancy. <laughs> That's why yeah specialized <laughs> that's right that's a really good one. expert yeah' right, right. We're, we're a special we specialize in well we have two aspects of our work one we specialize in uh developing and delivering professional education programs for associations, so you know we go in house uh develop their training programs their certification accreditation programs uh and then deliver them and we and all that's involved in in that piece. And then on the other side is the, the what we call the leadership support piece, which is primarily where in the business I work, which is around working with boards of directors, uh, C-suite leadership teams on their personal development. We do a lot, I do a lot of coaching, a lot of one-to-one with aspiring chief executives or new, um, well,
0: unseasoned chief execs and exec directors. Both need um, guidance sometimes, yeah. Well, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. the well.
1: And Usually, by sometimes,
0: I mean all the time, right? Even if you course correct just a degree or two, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's enough. It's enough. And actually, I spend a lot of
1: time with, with people who just need that kind of opportunity to, to vent, download, sense check that they're not seeing it in a completely bizarre way, the world. So I spend a lot of time doing that. And then I also work with boards around facilitating strategic planning and then looking at the, the, the whole governance piece. Um, helping them helping people volunteers and staff understand what in in the association world what constitutes good corporate governance and the work takes me you know well everywhere you know I work I work internationally I have clients we have clients in Australia South Africa uh, Canada UK Europe and of course the US or you know, my business partner is based over in Minnesota, so yeah. you know I'm I'm in the UK. She's over there, so we spend a lot. I spend an awful lot of time um, in the Delta Lounge uh, yeah. at various <laughs> the airports in the world around the world. Although sadly, they don't have one in London. But
0: uh, oh no, yeah. <laughs> you better make a call. Indeed, one I'm excited to find out. I have a new person I can call and vent to. That's good uh, and important. So always, I, I, always. Will, I will do that for sure. Um, Number two, uh, let's clarify, we'll come back to the governments later in the show. I know we will. That's an important topic and going to be a fun topic and talking about the civic duties uh, of associations and and how much we're focused or not focused sometimes on that. But on the education programs, let's clarify just a little bit. You all do strategy, design and implementation. Is that how far do you go? The
1: whole whole piece, the whole piece. So we'll, we'll take it from inception. So you know, someone will say, right? We want to, we want to put out the door, uh, you know, a, a leadership academy. You know, we yeah. want to, you know, the the ex association leadership academy, but we don't know what it's going to look like, and we don't know how to structure it, and we don't really know how to design it or who's going to deliver it. So you know, we'll we'll go in and, as you say, strategize with the organisation and say, right what 's the purpose of this why are we why are you delivering this education? Why do you want this leadership academy and then we'll we'll sort of take that information digest it, turn it into a proposed sort of structure you know be it uh, you know everything from well okay it's a it 's a three week um intensive online through to a, it's a weekend boot camp through to it's a an ongoing twelve month certification program so we will we'll do and we'll then work with the you know the the volunteers who contribute the content and deliver the content we don't do that that's that's not our wheelhouse Um, we'll work as instructional designers put that piece together and then work with as I say those volunteers to deliver Uh, we'll do all of it all the other kind of administrative pieces around it and then at the end of the, the 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 training or whatever it is, the you know, the leadership academies concludes. We'll then follow up with the the evaluation piece, you know, understanding what worked, what impact we had. So part of the pe- part of the exercise is also, you know, identifying not just the purpose of the program, but how are we going to measure success? How yeah. do we understand what KPIs are, what benchmarks we're going to be using, so that you know an association can can realise real value from. It's education piece rather than what, you know, and you'll have seen this as well, and I'm sure our listeners will have experienced this rather than what is often the case is sort of random ad hoc training events, yeah. you know, which is fine, which is good. You need, you know, we need those. But I think sometimes just sort of being able to stand back and say, right, well, actually, what what is the real value of an education program to our members and also to the organization as well, you know, so uh, that's, that's, that's the piece that we, we lead on for, for clients.
0: Yeah. I I was going to jump, but I'm going to pull on this thread just a little bit more because I think it's important. Um, there are lots of general, also general training programs out there, but from a value perspective of the association in a lot of cases, they can be much more specialized and custom, I'll call it, to the membership. And I could see, you know, it could come out of a strategic planning that, Hey, we want to do, we want to do one of these. Um, to me, it, it's a little bit like, oh, I want to buy a pickup truck. Well, like, why do I want to buy a pickup truck? And and so what, when they come to you and they say they want to do this and you ask them, why do you want to do this? I, I'm curious as to what most people say, and I assume you know some of them are after revenue generation, some of them is just pure value, some of them is member demand. But you know, what do you hear some of the reasons and so what of our audience yeah. should be thinking about in terms of, hey, are we thinking about this in the right way? Maybe. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, I'm a lot of the time, some, well, associations would say, well, that's just, that's what we do. That's what we do. We deliver training. We do, and you think, right, okay, well, you know, we need, and we'll, we'll come on to this in the wee when we talk about, you know, strategic, you know, leadership and impact. But actually, when you really challenge um, people to think about it yeah they do they you know and they're honest about it yeah many chief execs and cfos will turn around and say well for us it's an income generator you know primarily we're putting out the door because it makes us money right um and then others will say well you know it's a it's a it's it's a loss it's a it's a it's um was it um a loss making you know exercise but actually you know our purpose is bigger than the making money. You know, we're here to have an impact and a value to our members. So, you know, it does it does vary. It does vary quite a lot. I think I think what we are seeing now is more and more associations are recognizing that there are gaps that they can fill that are missing within their industries. Um, you know, we work a lot with, you know, medical uh, societies mm-hmm. uh, and clinical societies, and you know the the, the highly specialised um, provision that they're putting out the door is stuff that that you simply wouldn't, you know, the, the, the members are not getting anywhere right. else, right. and you know, so they understand then they you that this this education program at the core of their business is their USP, you know, that's their unique selling point because again when you stand around with when you spend, and I spend a lot of time with organizations and challenge them and say you know what is your unique selling point why do you even exist right and you know you know they and it's always you know because we're here to, you know support our members have a network you know be the go to for you know the sort of genetic sort of explanations as to why why the association exists but actually the guys who are really getting Who are really positioning their education programs as the focal point of their their value proposition? Well, they're churning over not just financial value, they're realizing significant member value, but they're also realizing significant sort of policy value, you know, because then they're, they're generating through their education programs, they're generating really good data about what members are and aren't learning what you know on how they're applying it and where they're applying it and then they're taking that data and applying it to real real-time circumstances in members professions and suddenly you know from an advocacy or lobbying position or a policy advocacy position you've got a huge amount of real data that's, that's informed by not just members experience of their outside world but of their experience within the within their membership world as well yeah. i love education I love education. For me, when I talk to strategic, when I you know when I facilitate strat planning, and people are talking about well, you know, you know what should be the focal point for me, the education piece is always, I think, you know, should be the centerpiece of of what you deliver. That's just my opinion, and of course, education can be all sorts of different things. You know, this yeah. podcast is an educational resource potentially. You know, maybe not with me on it particularly but other other guests it's a huge educational resource so you know and i think recognizing that you know we talk all the time about the value and impact of academic credentials you know what degree do you have what masters have you got um what phd have you got but actually the more that we're talking about the more that we're talking about with the professional accreditation um, and, and what the value of that is, I think the more we're discussing that, the, the easier it becomes and the value that that accreditation has to an individual member in their career, the more I'm seeing boards appreciate, oh, uh, yeah, actually putting education at our core uh, kind of makes real sense, business sense,
0: and also, you know, real value for our members. Well said. I mean, I was I was throwing that out there. I wanted to pull on the thread because I hope you'd say exactly what you just said. And what I heard you say was, yes, some some approach you uh, specifically to create these programs for financial gain, but the ones that are very successful are there to educate the industry, educate the individuals that make up for it, and the money will follow. And yeah. you know, if you ask all these folks in our culture today, the ones that we've deemed has been quote successful, I say financially successful. And, you know, you say, hey, if you have your last $50,000, what are you going to do? And aside from the Grant Cardones who will say invest in real estate, the rest of them will say, well, I'd educate myself and I'd train myself in a specific manner so that I can be more successful. And that, that changes everything. And that
1: directly links back, for me, that directly links back then to your recruitment and your retention strategy. Rather than scrabbling around and saying, right, how are we going to enhance our value proposition? Um, how are we going to add value to those members who've been on on the you know in the organization for five, 10, 15, 20 years actually linking the value proposition to you know a member's career tra- trajectory and therefore the education proposition to the to that member's experience of the association? Well, your retention
0: your retention uh, strategy just writes itself. I'm very cognizant of what my teenagers, Uh, you know, absorb. And one of the things that I feel like is a trend, and maybe I'm being overly sensitive, is this idea that higher education, college, for example, isn't worth the money, right? I can go out and I can be an entrepreneurial spirit, and there's no need to do all that. I'm just going to go out and make my way in the world. And I think that's very dangerous. However, there is some merit to the sense of, okay, college as an institution has changed a lot, the the value Mm -hmm. proposition of which is questionable, but It doesn't mean you can't go out there and find education. I I think that's really important is you still need to go out there and educate yourself when you you leave the proverbial nest. It's so important that whether it's through, uh, you know, a a Fortune 500 company that offers all these certifications, you can get Amazon certified and all these things are LinkedIn certified. Mm -hmm. Or more importantly, you find an industry where you're really passionate about and and you want to pursue and have them provide you essentially a higher level of education.
1: I think, you know, if in a in US context, you, know, you talk about the certified association executive, you know, that credential, the value um, and the impact of that is huge. It's yeah. huge. Now, we don't have that in the, in the UK context. Mm. We don't have. In fact, I was talking to a, a colleague this morning who's um, a former chief executive. He's Retired. He spent, you know, the last 30 years working at C-suite level in membership organizations in the UK. And um, and I was talking to him about leadership and I mentioned you know, something and I, I mentioned, oh, you know, the CAE, the Certified Association Exec. And I think what we want to be doing in the UK is how do we replicate that or import it or whatever? And he turned around and he said, oh, I never heard of that. Yeah. And I was like, right. Right. Okay. And I said and I thought, well and that for me is exactly why we've got these aspiring professionals in in the industry, in the membership industry, who are struggling to progress in, in you know often because they have no no reference point, if you like. You know, we have no equivalent. And so they end up um well we end up losing them. You know, potentially, and I think that's dreadful. I think that's dreadful because actually, you come into this industry, the membership world, um, however you fall into it, um, and and I think you know, for us in the UK context, to be devoid of that opportunity um, to have those credentials and that sort of recognition that you have, you have committed to, and you continue to invest in your own personal education uh, and your own personal professional development. I think it's a real travesty. And and I hope we can rectify that sooner rather than later. But yeah, the education piece is, and, and again, you know, the the fact that ASAE has nicely positioned the CAE as a focal point of yeah. the membership industry is put big value. Yeah. It's put education at the centre of its value proposition.
0: Yeah. It's great. You know, I mean and, yeah. and, and there's there's many other layers in that, right? There's there's Absolutely. networking and other things, but I do like that they have they've stood by that, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. they have no shortage of thoughts and ideas and ways that they can uh-huh. help connect the community and do all these other things, but they've stood their ground and said education is important. I think that's a strong symbol.
1: Absolutely. And everything else we can hang off it. And you can access everything else at different points. You don't have to be engaged in the education program to access the networking uh activities, the conference, right. the the podcasts, the webinars. You don't have to be pursuing a formal credential. Right. However, they've created a you know a virtuous learning cycle whereby if I want to, I can. And everything I do is is linked to my personal education. I think it's a brilliant model. And I, I would ideally want to see like I say, when I walk in and facilitate uh strategy planning you know unless there's a real unless there's an obvious reason um, you know we don't do education because you know and, and and in the uk you know we have the royal colleges for example so you know you have the royal college of uh, general practitioners or you'll have the royal college of nursing or or what have you and and they will be kind of the educational focal points so actually you have more, the what the membership organisations are more sort of professional peer support networks <coughs> Well, fair enough. You know, I can see you don't want to be reinventing the wheel if someone else is doing a brilliant job over there. But otherwise, I, if you don't have, in my opinion, for what it's worth, if you don't or you're not moving education toward the centre, then I think long-term you're going to be one of those organisations who is struggling to, def- to, to, to justify
0: itself in the future. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, so you mentioned in there you know how you find your way to the industry I I want to want to jump back in time for a second and have you tell us a little bit maybe how you found this industry and uh, a little bit about Andrew's background and what landed you here and what keeps you here. Oh, right. Okay.
1: Well, I think like I think everybody everybody I speak to practically I I've fallen into the 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 membership world and I was I'm no exception. Uh I started my career in um central government, so I worked for um, the Scottish government up in Edinburgh um, in, the, in Scotland, and I then worked for the New Zealand government down in Wellington for a couple of years, and and I worked, you know, in the public uh, environment, um, but it was very much in that kind of central uh, civil, you know, as a central government civil servant sort of perspective.
0: Yeah,
1: and it was within that context that I bumped into membership bodies. You know, I was working in a policy area around environmental sustainability. Um when I was working um came back, I was working in, in, in government again. And I I just literally, you know, in, in a conference bumped into someone, was introduced to them, oh this is the chief exec of the Environmental Association for Universities and Colleges. And I was like, right, okay. No idea what you do. Honestly, I had no real perception of what membership organisations did. Um, and so, and, but then, you know, started working with them, started to appreciate that, you know, in this, in this context, they were, we, you know, Scottish Government was working with these this organisation in partnership mm-hmm. to drive forward policy priorities. Uh, and for me, that was a real eye opener about the impact that government can have. By utilizing the resources and the skills and the expertise you know not just the cash resources but the human capital the 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 energy and the enthusiasm that uh, you know volunteers and professional yep. staffing associations bring to the table that really opened my eyes to it um and then subsequently I got a job with the same organization and that was my first sort of uh they said oh we're opening a we want to open a a Scotland office for this." this association we want to work with scottish universities scottish colleges and um do you want to do you want to head it up for us i'm like you know right okay and i had no experience working in the membership world um but i totally blagged the interview and you know and i i i I promised them all sorts of things that i over delivered on of of course um And I went in and I set up the the Scottish office. And so, you know, the the whole kickaboodle of um, finding the office space, recruiting the staff, um, putting in place the structures to make it work, to make it function, and and headed that up uh, for a couple of years and then moved on then to my first chief executive position. So I went from being the head of the Scotland office for one organisation to being the chief executive for the Association of Research Managers and Administrators down in, in Cambridge in the UK. Um, academic, an academic not an academic focused. Um, the association was for professional staff, not academic staff, but it was working in again in that university environment. Um, and then I and after and I worked there for you know headed that up for me and again did the same thing in the sense that they were a voluntary group, they'd hit their ceiling, they had the cash, they just didn't have the resources to deliver what they wanted. They were looking for their first CEO, set it up, recruit the staff, find the office space, put all the policies and procedures in place, you know, get it all up, get it all running. And so I did that for, for many years. Uh, and then I And then I moved into consulting because I decided I didn't like being a chief executive. Well, fair enough. I didn't like it, so sure there's it plenty away. out
0: there that would agree with you.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, there are. There aren't many who I'd like to admit it publicly, um, but for obvious reasons. But yeah, I did not enjoy it at
0: all. Yeah, yeah. We, we got we got a chance, you know, to <laughs> chat a little bit, you know, before we we jumped on here. And one thing I noticed was, I'd say uh, I won't say one area of passion. I was, I'm going to speak for you. You could tell me, you know, punch me in the mouth if you say I'm saying something <laughs> wrong. But, uh, one of the things that I think you're passionate about that keeps you in the industry, I'll speak for that, but also maybe one of the opportunities, and that's a nice way of saying things that get you riled up, um, is this idea of lost opportunity in the civic duty of associations. Is that fair? Yeah,
1: yeah that's fair. I think you've, You nailed it, Lucas. I think you've you've nailed it there. Yeah, I I I am passionate about you're right, about the impact and the value that membership organizations The influence. Yeah, yeah, the influence that they can yield, you know. And I've seen it firsthand, I've experienced it firsthand, you know, from both sides, the government side and the the association side, and I've seen the value that organizations can realize on a social level as well as kind of on a profession focused um, level or indeed the individual um, level, and for me, yeah, the the you know the the, the civic role uh, or the role that as- associations can play in civic society is huge. And I think you know you know as we you know we come up to what now the the quarter mark of the twenty first century, right. uh, things are chaotic to say the least. You know, out there there's there's so much going on there's so many different challenges on a global level that we're that we're having to deal with uh, and have been dealing with you know for the last you know the, talk about the turbulent 20s is an understatement but
0: um well you know may, maybe well, dealing with maybe, maybe 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 some cases not but yeah
1: yeah but um indeed but you know for me the 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 real opportunity um, that um associations can have in positively uh impacting their their yes their professional communities maybe their local communities maybe their national you know communities is is isn't is really huge and i think it's untapped at the moment and i think it's because you know i think I think we're not necessarily having that conversation. You know, we're in the boardroom. We're not necessarily having that conversation. It's quite, a, it's quite a big conversation to have. You know, if you're an organisation and you start talking about well, social purpose, that's quite a big sort of deviation from you know the the, the direction you've been perhaps you know uh, steering for well forever. And and so I I totally appreciate why organisations, why boards of directors don't necessarily want to have the conversation or or aren't having the conversation. But for me, I think in lieu of any kind of meaningful sort of, well, I mean, I'm being unfair, but in lieu of the the ability, (laughs) the ability of governments to have um, local or, or, or indeed, you know, regional impacts. Because, you know, we think of associations like oil tankers who take forever to turn around. I mean, trying to get governments to turn around, is almost impossible. So in any yeah. sort of any time frame.
0: Uh, leading by um, committee is not as necessarily effective in terms of if you're just strictly basing that on a timeline.
1: Why did you sw- you did swear at me? You just said the C word to me. And it's the number one thing I absolutely can't st- is in the
0: in the. I membership promise world. you, it was on purpose.
1: <laughs> the membership world is is commit is is group think and leadership and decision making by committee drives me up the wall. And it it and it and I think it's it, it links to something that I'm another thing I'm hugely passionate about, which you know it links to all of that we've been talking about is the is professionalism, uh, or maybe maybe not. The lack of professionalism i sometimes encounter you know in the boardroom uh that it it all sort of points to these issues these these headaches that i had that you know and i'm it's how i make my living you know partly how i make my living i get parachuted into these environments because you know boards are perhaps struggling to understand you know what they should be doing and you know so i shouldn't complain too much about it otherwise i'll be out of work but you know, in terms of there's plenty of work.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. one, that one, you're not going to solve overnight or over a decade. Yeah.
1: Well, well, I'm I'm not going to stop trying. I'm not going to no, stop trying. Really, or should you? Yeah. Because we've been talking. You know, we've spoken at length about you know education and and, and for me, you know, that's and every association talks about professionalism, and the professionalisation or enhancing the you know the ability of their members as professionals, and and going back to you know we we spend. So much time and energy as individuals as, as, as professionals in this, in this uh, membership industry, as staffers invested in our professional development, we've spoken about the CAE, you know we want to, we recognize that you know as staff we have to have a certain level of competence, of confidence, of capabilities. we absolutely have got to start applying that principle to our boardrooms. And for me, there's a tension at the moment um, in the membership environment, and it's international. This tension permeates the global membership world, which is between professionalism and volunteerism. And this, I think, feeble excuse that, oh, well, they're volunteers, so we should be, we just should be grateful that they're there. And actually, from, to my mind, I don't care if you're a volunteer, you know, once you're through the door, That's brilliant. I care that you're going to volunteer but once you're through the door it makes it's nothing it makes no difference to me whether you're paid or not paid. You have to be able to demonstrate a degree of professionalism uh, competence uh, in the boardroom because you're making significant decisions there. um, Accepting significant accountability legal liability um, for your decision making and Too often, too often the reason I'm getting parachuted into these board environments or I'm seeing strategic plans fail or I'm seeing chief executives on the verge of a breakdown, um, I'm listening to chief executives, you know, having a breakdown, is because the governance piece and the governance as leadership uh, concept isn't being fully embraced in in the board environments. And, you know... Lisa, Lisa, on our podcast, Lisa says to me all the time, oh, you know, don't get Andrew started on, on boards and governance. And, and she's right, you shouldn't have, but you did, And it's your fault now, Lucas, you're gonna have to. Just I own it.
0: it. <laughs> I mean, I, I own it. Well, let's, but, let me, let me ask you yeah. a question then, because we're there uh, on this topic. We don't have to stick it, but so. It is. It is an issue, right? And you see people that if it gets toxic enough, people just leave the environment. Uh, They'll move to another association. People bounce around in our industry quite often. It's a thing. Um, And so at the risk of maybe pointing the finger, and I think I like the word accountability better in this instance, but short of hitting the factory reset button, what is – What do you advise as as steps? First, you have to be self-aware to understand that, hey, I'm in this environment. I'm contributing in some form or fashion. That takes a real leader. And then you know what is what is step one or step one point five you know in that you know how do you how do you do it again short of blowing everything up and factory resetting which I yeah. you know I imagine sometimes is the recommendation but a
1: couple of times yeah a couple of times it has yeah, been that yeah. has been the recommendation but um, only oh, really really that rare, is rare. it's 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 education it's education it's training development how unfair is it of us to seek volunteers to come into the board environment and assume to know that they know how to govern, that they understand corporate governance. It's so wrong of us to say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant you're a volunteer. Let's celebrate you. Let's put you up there and say, brilliant, we've got our new president, our new Mm president-elect, our new treasurer, whatever, but then not provide you with professional development. And I don't mean... You know, because again I talk about I talk with a lot of organizations and they say, Oh, you know, we give our directors induction. And they don't. They don't. They give them a folder full of paperwork that's to do with the organization's financial position, um, internal HR policies, and uh, you know, a copy of the marketing plan. And and then And here's the website. Yeah, and there's the website, yeah, exactly. And if you've got any comments, come back. And and then you, that's when you get this situation where You know, these poor people are feeling abandoned. They're coming into the board environment. They've been expected to contribute, but really are lacking the confidence to do it because they don't really know what gaps they're supposed to be plugging. And invariably then, they plug the gaps that they perceive and they go to their default position, which is where we're going to get into the weeds of operations, you know, rather than you know, governing the organization. We're going to micromanage the chief executive. And I've been in board. I've, as a chief executive, I've been in board meetings where we have gone through the bank statement, you know, line by line, me justifying why, you know, I spent $10
0: on a subway. When You're I could've... make me fall asleep, Andrew, on my own pod here.
1: It's is so boring. When you, do it like
0: that. when you do yeah. it like that, it's so dull.
1: But if you can walk in that boardroom and be strategic, be courageous, be creative, um, wow, the opportunity, the governance, the opportunity, well, I, I then call it a professional privilege. Yeah. That is a professional privilege to have that opportunity to influence the long-term direction and success of your membership body, your professional association. That that for me is why governance is exciting i can't think of anything duller than sitting there going through tedious reports of stuff that we've done
0: all right great the yeah, stuff that we that's done. not really i mean i was going to add to your list transparency that's not the transparency that no. you need in that environment no. there is certainly a level of being genuine and being transparent at a very high level and then the other adjective i would add that really in my opinion makes more more effective meeting is the inspiration part of it. Yeah, is. And absolutely. I think that goes back to all of the civic duties that you should be filtering your lens or, or starting, right? It's almost bigger than vision sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And people say to me, well, how much time should we be spending on the kind of compliance piece, the fiduciary oversight? I say, well, assuming you've got your your processes in place and your checks and balances, a, a, a board meeting, five minutes and even even then only if
0: it's a red or an amber issue you know and otherwise you know you have to be talking about that more than that then the train is falling off the tracks you got got other problems
1: absolutely yeah you've got bigger problems than that absolutely if there's no money in the bank how on earth did you get to that point in the first place so yeah um and actually you spend 95 95 percent of your time engaging and discussing you know trends um competition analysis you know analyzing your environment horizon scanning talking about opportunities but big picture stuff that's where the exciting piece of of governance is for me um you know uh, yeah i'm fully on board with anybody who says governance is boring when it is when you experience it like like that kind of In the weeds. Yeah, it is as still as dishwater. Who's got time for that?
0: Done wrong. It's it's Yeah, it's terrible. It's it's walking backwards instead of forwards.
1: And it does nothing and it does nothing to well, it does nothing to support your chief executive and the C suite and your leadership team and your staff. All it does is um all it does is undermine their position. Um and again you know, invariably, you've got a chief executive who's a certified association executive. They kind of know what they're doing, <laughs> you no. Know? And that's not you to hope. say we don't need. Well, you, you hope, hope in, in certain areas, yes. We, that's not to say you don't have to have your checks and balances. Of course you do, and you have to have your um, you know your processes for reporting and accountability. Of course you do,
0: but that's not every moment of every board meeting. No, you have to be, I mean, every CEO has, has different gifts, um, and being self-aware, as we mentioned enough to know what those are, but also being self-aware enough to know what they aren't. Yes. And I would argue most boards have lots of talent, tons, huge, huge. They're, They're not necessarily being utilized. And part of that is I'll, I'll just keep picking on education they haven't been educated on their purpose. It's not defined what is the purpose of this board. And if you asked everybody in the room, I know you've done this in sort of pre planning mm-hmm. and surveying, sometimes you get if there's eight people in the room, you get seven different answers. Oh. Sometimes
1: if there's eight people in the room, I'll get ten different answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. And 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 having them have that, you know, you bring in, in new directors. New trustees, new members of the governing body, the custodians of the organisation—a challenge in them around that is critical. Because and actually, challenging people and educating people before they get to the boardroom, before they even get to the election process. And the right. second point, you know, we said what's the first thing? Education for who you've got in the room right now. But then, as part of your succession planning process and managing your talent pipeline, making people aware of what is expected of them when they put themselves forward for election or appointment to the board is critical. Don't, and don't, don't, you know, people like to sort of dress it up because they're afraid people will be put off and they won't put themselves forward because it'll feel like I'd rather have nobody put themselves forward because it was a terrible prospect than. Fifteen people all get on a board and have no idea what they're doing and it ends in catastrophe, so yeah. part of that is the succession planning piece as well and you know a lot of the time boards kind non profit boards in particular feel like they' somehow they'll be perceived as interfering if they you know with the governor, you know with the, the 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 election process or the governance piece if they if they're involved in managing the talent pipeline but my position is well. As custodians of the organization, your responsibility is not just to promote and protect its interests now. It's about looking at the future well beyond when you've been in the, on the board. And part of that is saying to people, you know, we've got a mentoring program, for example, or, you know, around governance as leadership, as leadership pieces or whatever. And, and so there's plenty of ways to do it. But for me, the education and the succession, succession planning, those are the two pieces that that really shore up the stability um, and the focus of, of the board of directors and allows the board and the senior executive to work as two sides of the same leadership coin. So they stop competing with one another and then they start <coughs> uh, complementing one another and working as as part of the same system because I think, again, one of the issues that I, I see organizations struggling with is recognizing that every, ass, every element of the association is part of the same system. And I think getting people to start talking and understanding, start talking about and understanding the value of systems thinking as part of the leadership proposition,
0: yeah. again, it, the impact is huge. How many, how many organizations, in your experience, when you go into one of those settings, have a, a written description of the role of the chief executive and the role of the board? And those are different, you know, coming into it, and everybody stands on that opposite side of the same coin, as you said.
1: <laughs> Not many. Yeah. Not many that I walk into. But then again, I guess that's the nature of my job, isn't it, is I get brought in because of it. the organizations who are flying in. They don't. They never want me in, <laughs> you know. Unless it's to sort of do some sort of performance appraisal assessment of the board, because again, that's a big piece that I advocate. Is yes, you train train people. Yes, you support people. But yes, you also have to assess their performance. Otherwise, you know, how are you ever going to support them in the long term? If there's areas that they're lacking, knowledge that they're lacking, skills that they don't, you know, that they that they don't possess. You have to be able to identify that and part of that is to do an annual sort of assessment of their of their progress, of their of the of their confidence as yeah. and competence as, as directors. But no, it's very rare that I'll walk in and and they've got that kind of clearly mapped roles and responsibilities and are working in truly working, you know, in tandem.
0: Yeah, I, I wish more folks, you know, there seems to when you say the word strategic planning, you know, I think there's a, for most people, I am very general here. Most people think that if they go to a strategic plan, especially if they're first, they're going to come up with the, you know, the initiatives for next year. And that's, that's the purpose of being there. And I found more often, you, sometimes you can't even get there because there's all these other issues with regard to, uh, communications, roles and responsibilities, um, that, that kind of, are puzzle pieces that need to be fit in before you can even get to the yeah. stuff that's a level down, which is what we should be doing. It's who's doing what. And then that vision component coming back to the civic duty, the first lens. Are we looking through that? Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I've had, uh, I remember it distinctly being asked to come in and work with the board to, you know, just a, a well, they called it strategic planning. I think they wanted sort of a visioning session, just a day and I ended up working with them for 3 years because after my after my th- first sort of 20 minutes I realized that there was no there was no coherence around the board table as to what the purpose of the organization was and you know and you think right okay and for me that was a real well it really exemplified the challenge that these individuals are facing when you say to them yeah strategic planning Right, okay. We're not even necessarily, they're not even necessarily talking the same language. I mean, yeah, you know, and that was a big board. There was like 25 of them. Oh God, it was too big. But And I did have, you know, half a dozen different perspectives on why the organization exists. Well, there was no way I could strategic plan with them if they all had different purpose. If they thought the reason the organization existed was different, I couldn't ever come up with a, a realistic strategic plan for them. So we had to just scrap everything. And I was I took the chief exec out of the room and said, Right, you know, we had a coffee break 20 minutes in. And I said, We need to just go back to go back to basics on this and get them to really sort of analyze and assess why does this organisation exist? And then from that, what why are we in the room and what are we going to be talking about? And Again, guiding them again, it's like you said the boardrooms are full of clever people i have never walked in a boardroom and thought, God, god why is that person why's that lump of coal sitting there? my god they you know they're you know useless, but if they're not given direction and support yeah. and training and guidance and mentoring and you know ongoing you know um uh assessment and continuing professional development they're never going to do they're never going to work as an asset for the organization they're only ever going to be um they're only ever going to be perceived as the enemy um by the by the staff and i've got a, i've got a couple of clients on at the moment and they both have this headache the board the board is frustrated with the staff the staff are purposely keeping the board at arm's length no, the, the board doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing and uh, and then they just fill in the gaps like I said they just fill in the gaps and then that frustrates the staff because staff think well don't you trust me and then you have all these questions about culture and interpersonal dynamics and what have you and it's like wow this all could have been avoided yeah. it all could
0: have been avoided if you just got me in sort of five years ago <laughs> You know, I, I think uh, it's really, really important to point out to our audience or anybody you know listening to these types of conversations that you know we could sit here and 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 what sounds like board bash. and the reality is we're just really excited and passionate about our industry being successful. And these are not, you know right? these <clears throat> these aren't faults of anybody within these environments, necessarily. No. They're real opportunities. And I say that as genuinely as I can as somebody who's, we, we now bring in an outside facilitator and I always will with any organization I'm part of, I will bring in an outside facilitator because they will show you the sides of you that you don't see. Yeah. And you know, what seems like, you know, X dollars, I I promise you all, if you're listening, it's worth the investment. I, I've just never had somebody who's who's gone through the process well with the right facilitator and gone wow that was a waste of money in mm-hmm. fact most of the time they go wow i wish i had done that way earlier and it's these little blind spots that we all have I, again it sounds like we're board bashing or ceo bashing i'm telling you even myself oh, totally. and i'm sure yeah. you and the yeah. same spot manager would say we all have blind spots right oh god yeah oh my god oh yeah
1: Blind spots, I probably walk around with blinkers on when I was a yeah. chief executive, you know, I was. Um, this is it. This yeah, is you it. know, <laughs> that's it. Exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. Can I look now? No, yeah. can I look now? Um, no, absolutely. And I think, yeah, that's one of the most frustrating parts for me is that people volunteer bec- and volunteering is the lifeblood of membership organizations. and I don't want people to, I would hate for the listeners to think that I don't recognize that because I do. And why I'm frustrated is because they bring to the table all the energy and enthusiasm, expertise, the relationships, the networks. You know, I know associations. You know, I know how to run associations, but I have never, ever been able to run an association without heavily leaning on the volunteers, the boards, the committee members, the volunteers, whose knowledge and expertise of the industry is absolutely fundamental to the success of the organisation. And that's why I say you need, you need one side to work with the other and complement and support and not compete. And And it's the competing that, that I'm bashing, not, the, not the, the, the energy and the enthusiasm. And also, I hate to see that energy and enthusiasm sort of be wasted you know by people who yeah, are working who are volunteering for one thing, and it never materializes to be what they think it is.
0: Absolutely. This is one of those uh, conversations I think we could just keep taping for hours. And I always have the unfortunate task of wrapping us up and um, and closing us out. but i but I do like this portion of our show where you know we sort of turn the microphone back to you, andrew, and and ask for a recommendation on somebody that, from your network, you think could also be uh, add a valuable component and share good stories with the association on our show.
1: Yeah, of course, absolutely. Well, um, obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about the the social impact, um, right. the civic responsibilities that you know associations can realise. And so, for me, I would I would highly recommend talking with uh, Alison Heppenstahl, who is the co-founder. No, I think she's the founder, actually, the, the full founder. I'm sorry, Alison, you're the full founder of um, Climate Action for Associations, which is, you know, a network um, of of membership bodies dedicated to understanding and then implementing how associations can tackle, you know, the climate, you know, the climate crisis. Not, not not separately, but tackle it together, you know, as an industry, as a global industry. And I think, you know, Alison's done some tremendous work since putting CAFA together. And I would highly recommend that, uh, that, you, that, 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 that she comes on board and, and has a really good chat. She'll have tons, tons of good stuff to say.
0: Excellent. Well, I hope, she, uh, I hope she accepts our request and look forward to the conversation. Andrew, thank you again for your time and, and joining us here You're on the other welcome. side of the microphone.
1: Indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. For,
0: I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I
1: actually talk a lot more when Elisa's not uh, not on a podcast with me, I've noticed, but uh, we won't tell her that. Uh, <laughs> no, she'll she'll know soon know. enough. She'll yeah, listen, she'll, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. I appreciate it. My pleasure.